0: Good morning everybody. How are you doing today? Beautiful beautiful March day, right? Yeah. yeah, does it make you think about summer at all? Yeah. Summer's coming and that means vacations are beginning. And when it comes to vacations, we know we got a lot of planning to do, right? Uh, most of us are probably starting to do those plans. If you're not one of those people who's already planned it like three years ago, most of us aren't in that realm. But if you're planning, you know there's a lot of uh, things that you got to kind of put into what your vacation is going to look like. Where are you going to go? Attractions you're going to see? The foods you're going to eat? But I I think one of the the biggest parts of planning for vacation is the travel. Uh, You're probably going to get there from plane, train, or automobile, right? Those are sort of the three main options we have. Maybe you want to walk or ride a bike. That's totally up to you. But Most of us are going to take one of those three forms of transportation. And uh, it's kind of tough because you can have the best laid plans for what travel is going to look like and it just not work for you. Uh, You can get in your car on the day that you're driving to the beach. And uh, you put your GPS in and it's green all the way down, right? And you're like, this is going to be a great trip. This is going to be amazing. We're going to get there like three hours before I thought. And then you get about two or three hours down the road and it turns to red. And there's detours. And not only are there detours, but maybe the interstate's closed. you got to go this other way. And so it just kind of messes up the planning that we had put into place. I think even worse than that is when you're on a plane and you're flying, and you're almost at your destination, and the pilot comes on and says, Hey, i got some bad news for you. Uh, we can't actually land at the airport we're supposed to land at, so we're going to land somewhere else, and, and we'll get you to our destination when we can Those kind of detours are not fun detours at all, are they? Because we know we've got this plan in place. We know where we want to be and what we want to do. And all of a sudden, again, detour. Today, we're going to start this brand new series called Dealing with Detours. Because in our lives, we deal with detours all the time. That it doesn't make any difference. How much planning we do in our life, these detours, they show up. And not only do they show up. It seems like they show up pretty frequently. The question is, how do we handle them? How do we handle these detours that show up when they come our way? And so over the next few weeks, over the next six weeks, actually, as we head into Easter, we're going to talk about dealing with detours. And we're going to focus on the life of this one particular guy out of the Old Testament. Throughout this series, we're going to talk about this guy named Joseph. Because Joseph faced all kinds of detours. And we're going to see how he dealt with it and how God helped him through those detours in his life. So we're going to be in Genesis 37 today. We're going to spend our whole time there this morning. We're going to start in verse 2. Here's how it reads. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say the kind word to him. So we have three verses right here in Genesis 37, and we learn a whole lot, don't we? I mean, we get some details here. We find out that Joseph is a teenager. He's 17 years old. Uh, It seems like his job is to be a part of a shepherd crew with his brothers. He's got these 10 half-brothers that are actually the sons of his dad, Jacob, but his wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. And so we've got sort of this this family dynamic that's there, this starting point of what the family does and how they all kind of interact with each other. But we also see here that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Now we know this for two reasons. One, we read about right here. It talks about how Joseph was born to Jacob when he was older. And so it's sort of a miracle that Joseph was born. But the other one that we don't read about here, but we found out a little bit earlier in the story of Jacob is that Jacob really, really loved Joseph's mom. And her name was Rachel, and he loved her more than any of his other wives. And so for Joseph to be born to her when Jacob's a little bit older, I mean, Joseph became this favorite kid. So much so that Jacob has this special coat made for Joseph. Uh, you may know the story as Joseph and his, you know, multicolored coat, Right? Um, we really don't know if it had a lot of colors to it. The Hebrew word that's used there doesn't really mean that specifically. What it does mean is there's this the the, the sleeves were long sleeves, and so they were kind of ornate. Now, they could have been multicolored, but we we don't really know about it. We just know the the coat was a little bit different than what everybody else was wearing, and it had these special long sleeves that were a part of it. And so we kind of get these details, okay? But there's even more in here. We find their attentions tensions in the relationships with the brothers and with Joseph. Part of what we see here is that Joseph, he goes to the work sites so where the brothers are. And what does he do? He goes back and tells dad all the bad things that are happening. He tells on his brothers. And so we're going to even find out a little bit more about this and how this plays out in Joseph's life in, in just a, a second. But this seems to be part of what he does. And, and because of that... The brothers don't care for Joseph very much. And not only that, but but Dad treats Joseph differently. He gets preferential treatment. He's got this amazing coat. And, and they don't get these same things. And so there's tensions there with the brothers and Joseph. This may be familiar to some of you because uh, you probably experienced that in your own house growing up, right? Hopefully not the hatred piece to this point, but... Tensions between siblings. Uh, I, uh, in my family, there's three brothers. There's myself. I'm the oldest. Uh, Mister Independent. I uh, like to do things my way. Kind of do things on my own type of uh, personality. My middle brother, his name is Jason. He was angry all the time, uh, to the point one day that uh, he was probably 16, maybe 17 years old, and he actually ran over my younger brother's feet um, on purpose. We were like. <laughs> Why'd you do that? And he was kind of like, just because. So that that explains Jason. By the way, right now he is a lead pastor at a church. So uh, (laughs) it tells you how that played out for him. And then my youngest brother, the golden child. Like growing up, Jason and I, when we got in trouble, (laughs) we got in trouble, right? And and mom and dad took care of business pretty quickly there when we got in trouble. Chris, when he gets in trouble or got in trouble, it was kind of like, Oh, you'll be fine. Just hope you learn something from it and move on. So maybe you, you, you know that. You, you've experienced that in your, your siblings that there's this one kid in the family that gets all the gifts. And, and mom and dad seem to love them a little bit more. Even to this day, we still call Chris the favorite. Tongue in cheek a little bit because he still gets some better stuff than we do. But, but you kind of experience that, right? I, I have a feeling this is exactly what it's like for the brothers and Joseph. That here is Joseph who's the favorite of of their dad. And their brothers see this over and over and over again. Specifically because the dad, he never hides this. So they hate him. In fact, it says here that they never say anything nice to him. This is the setting for the life and the story of Joseph we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Now if we continue on in chapter 37. if We skip forward a little bit. Joseph has these dreams and he shares those dreams with his family and uh, the family's not quite sure what to do with these dreams. In verse 11 it says about while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. So Joseph had these two dreams and in these two dreams his family is bowing down to him. He doesn't have just one dream about this. He has two dreams about this. So Already think about this. These brothers can't stand him. He gets preferential treatment. They know their dad loves him more than he loves them. And now Joseph is saying, hey, by the way, I'm having these dreams where all of you, you are bowing down to me. I'm sure that doesn't go over very well with these brothers. Okay. well, all this is going on. We've got this tension in these relationships. These brothers at one point, a little bit later on, they're sent out to go take care of the sheep and uh, basically they follow wherever the, the grass is greenest, right? They, they take him to all these places that they can continue to fatten up these sheep for the family. And so they're away from home. Jacob comes to Joseph and is like, hey, Joseph, I need you to go to check on them. See what's happening. Check them out. See if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if they're not, I need you to come back and need you to tell me what those things are. Again, brothers already hate him, and now he's going to go to go tattletale on them. Well, Joseph gets to where they're supposed to be, and the brothers aren't there. And so he's wandering around this location and this man sees him and is like, hey, can I help you? What's going on? And Joseph's like, I'm looking for my brothers. Verse 17, the man told them, yes, they have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go into Dothan.'" Dauphin. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dauphin and found them there. Now remember, favorite son, he's got this. Pretty incredible jacket, this coat that he wears. He's had these dreams. There's tension within this family. Joseph is heading to go find his brothers in this new location they're in. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. Maybe it was because of his special sleeves on his jacket. I don't know. But as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. The brothers see Joseph coming from a distance and they know who it is, so they come up with a plan. And here's their plan. Let's kill Joseph. Let's kill him. Let's just get rid of him. And we'll lie to our dad and tell our dad that this wild animal attacked and killed Our brother. Now, um, the interesting piece to this is they're not actually close to home. It's not like they're a quarter of a mile from where Jacob is or a mile away. They're about 80 miles away. So they can easily get by with this, and Jacob would never know the truth. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Real compassionate brother there, right? Reuben was secretly planned to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Reuben's the oldest brother in this group of brothers here, and he has some responsibility being in that role for his brother's. Uh, but probably part of why he says this is, he's really trying to be protective of his inheritance. Because as the oldest son, he would get a little bit more than all the other sons would have received. And so he doesn't want to do anything that's really too crazy or too far out there. And, and so he even talks about, hey, in his mind, like, hey, I'm going to come back and I'm going to, I'm going to get Joseph and I'm going to get him out of this well. We can read this part about Reuben and we think to ourselves, he's pretty compassionate like he's really kind but if you actually go back and read stories about Reuben he, he really wasn't that kind of individual i mean he was kind of harsh but but for some reason right here for joseph he senses that he needs to make a good decision well they come to this decision to not kill joseph but they decide to do something else joseph shows up they attack joseph they rip off this coat they throw him into this well that has no water in it and they figure, hey, we'll just let him stay in this place and he can die. Verse 25. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. Again, compassionate oozing, and his brothers agreed. So, when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for twenty pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. As we kind of think about what we've read so far, it's really a sort of a short period of time that's happened. And so these brothers have gone from, hey, we're going to kill our brother, we're going to kill Joseph, which is pretty intense, to, no, let's not kill him. Let's rip this coat off of him. Let's throw him into this well. Maybe wild animals will get him or he'll just die down there. To now they're at this place of, hey, why don't we sell our brother into slavery? These guys have no emotional connection at all to Joseph. Like, they could care less about Joseph. And And here's how we know this. Look at the very beginning of what we read here. It says, just as they were sitting down to eat. Like if you're emotionally invested in something, you're you're not going to want to eat, right? You're not going to want to take the time to have a meal. These guys, they really don't care. This is just a part of life for them. And it shows their level of hatred towards Joseph. these traders are coming in and these traders are known for their spices they had a pretty strong market between them and the Egyptians and so they're heading down to sell some of their spices to the Egyptians Uh, they uh, end up purchasing Joseph from his brothers for 20 pieces of silver which back in those days that's what a male teenage slave would cost you verse 31 then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's blood a robe in its blood They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? The father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. These brothers decide, well, we'll take his jacket, we'll take his coat, we'll rip it up, we'll kill a goat, we'll wipe blood on it, and we'll send it to our father and say, hey, look what happened here. I imagine what's going on in their brains when they do this. Like they send this back to their dads, probably with a little bit of a smirk on their face. Like, ha ha dad, your favorite son is gone. Your, your favorite son is dead. I mean, there's this incredible tension and hatred they have toward Joseph and the way Jacob treats him. Some of you think your families are jacked up. This family was really messed up, but there's a question that I think is important for us to ask as we begin this series about Joseph. It's what can we learn about ourselves from what happens here to Joseph? Well, I think the thing we can learn here at the very beginning of the story of Joseph is what I said at the very start of this message, is that our lives are full of detours, I want you to think back to your teenage years or your early 20s. And for some of you, you're there right now, right? You're living that. Others of us, you know, we got to hit like the very fast rewind button to go back a few decades to kind of remember what it was like. But if you, if you think back to your, your teenage years and your 20s, your life was planned out, wasn't it? You knew exactly what you were going to do. You knew the college you were going to go to. You knew the degree you were going to get. You knew the job you were going to have. You knew where you were going to live when you got out of college. You knew how much money you were going to make. You knew who you were going to marry. You knew the house you were going to live in. You knew how many kids you were going to have. You knew when you were going to retire and where you were going to retire. I mean, you had your whole life planned out. And then what happened? Your life happens detours came Um, you didn't get into the college you expected to get into the job that you dreamed about it never came to fruition the place you wanted to live the city you wanted to live in, is not the city you you ended up living in the person that you were going to spend your life with you never even ended up marrying why detours hit us in our lives and it wasn't just one detour right it was detour after detour after detour and so we look at the life of Joseph and we see what he's going through. And I'm guessing as a 17-year-old, he had his life pretty well planned out. In fact, when I, when I think about Joseph, I, I also bet he looks at his dad. And you have to go back. I'm not going to spend any time on this. But his dad kind of circumvented some of the things that happened in his life to get where he was. I bet Joseph looked at his life and said, I'm going to be like dad. And, and here's why. Because dad um, dad loves me more. Uh, dad treats me better than the other guys. I-, I-, I bet when dad dies, when Jacob is out of the picture, I'm going to get the inheritance. I'm going to be the one that's going to be put in charge. I mean, by the way, I had these dreams about my family bowing down to me. How's that going to take place? Well, if I'm the-, the head of the household. And so maybe in, in Joseph's life, he's-, he's figured this all out. He's like, this is what my life is going to look like. But then those detours hit. And for him, those detours were called his brother's. And he was never the same from that moment forward. For you and I, when those detours hit, what does that mean for us? What does that look like for us in our, in our lives? But, but even bigger question than that is, what does it look like in our relationship when it comes to God? Well, i want to spend the rest of our time this morning talking through what that looks like for you and for me as we begin this series on, on Joseph. So let me share these, these two pieces with you that I think are really uh, important as the st- series begins. First thing I would say is that detours are opportunities for a better path. Detours are, not, are opportunities for a, a better path. Back in 1960, there was an IBM executive who made a decision that cost IBM $10 million. Now, $10 million in 1960 is about $102 million in today's dollars, all right? Well, as you can imagine, the CEO of IBM at the time, Tom Watson, uh, wasn't real happy about this, but he asked that this employee, this executive, be brought to headquarters so he could have a a meeting with him. They're meeting in this room. They sit down, and Watson looks at the executive and says, Hey, do do you know why I called you here? And executive said well i assume it's because you want to fire me and watson told him he said fire you of course not i just spent 10 million dollars educating you detours are an opportunity for a better path in 1953 chemist norm larson was looking for a way or a solution to um, displace water and keep things from corroding and so he he's got this plan in place and he's working on this experiment and he tries and tries and tries and it fails and fails and fails until the 40th attempt the symbol for water displacement is WD the attempt number was 40 and now we have this magic elixir which is amazing stuff called WD-40 detours or opportunities for a better path think about the early church AD 64 Uh, the church is growing but persecution hits and as you can imagine and as you probably know uh, people that were followers of Christ were were put to death in horrific ways and you would think that because of that Christianity just stopped nobody wanted to deal with that kind of persecution but what do we find We find that the church continued to grow and Christianity spread through persecution. Detours are an opportunity for a better path. What about communist China? The population there right now is about 1.5 billion people. And uh, if you know much uh, about what happens there, if you're a Christian in your church, they try to squash that as much as they can Well, in 1980, the estimate was there were about 6 million Christians in China. In 2010, the estimates were about 68 million Christians in China. By 2025, two years from now, there are estimates of there being 160 million Christians in China. And by the year 2030, they are saying 250 million people who live in China will be Christians. Detours are an opportunity for a better path. Like when those detours hit, it would be so easy for, le- for those detours to, 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 to take us down, right? To take us through these, these dark places in our life or, or quite often just to give up. Like why should I keep working through this? This is, this is too hard. Or, or we allow those detours to define us in negative ways now in the present and in the future. But I look at the early church and I would think, that would be a real easy moment to just give up because I, I, I don't want to die like my friend died or my family member died who was following Jesus. I don't want to experience that, but that's not what we saw. The church continued to grow, and Christianity continued to spread, and I look at a place like China, and I think there's all these detours. They're putting up all these barriers. They're, they're trying to squash the growth of Christianity. And it'd be easy to say, I don't want to deal with that either. I'll just, I'll just follow the, the state religion. But Christianity continues to grow. Those detours are present. But people understand there are opportunities to a better path ahead. I look at Joseph, and I, I think to myself, That day started when he sees his brothers there in Dothan, and he's kind of thinking, I've got this all figured out. This is what my day is going to look like. This is my path moving forward. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to find all the bad things they're doing. I'll go back to Dad and tell Dad exactly what's happening. But what ends up happening? He's attacked. He's thrown into this well, and he's sold into slavery. And from that moment on, we get to see detour after detour after detour that happens in Joseph's lives and each one of those become this opportunity for a better path for him and I believe the detours we face in our life can be opportunities for a better path for us too so that's the first thing I would say about what we can begin to look for in the story of Joseph and in our own lives but here's the second piece to this that just because we can't see God at work doesn't mean God isn't at work in our detours Just because we can't see God at work doesn't mean God isn't at work in our detours. I bet when Joseph is laying in that pit in that well, he is thinking, hey God, this isn't quite the day I was planning to have, right? This isn't the dream that I had for my life. This wasn't the plans that I had laid out that I'm going to be stuck down in in this this well. But, But even though, And what took place in Joseph's life in that day, even though he was attacked by his brothers, even though that that coat was ripped off, even though he's thrown into this well, even though he is sold into slavery, God was still there with Joseph. And God was still working in his life. Even though as Joseph kind of took an inventory of everything that's happening, I'm sure in his mind he's like, where is God in this what is God doing in these moments well just because Joseph couldn't see God at work doesn't mean that God wasn't at work in his detours probably similar for us um coming out of high school I had my life planned out um I knew exactly what it was going to look like and uh, you know, coming out of high school I decided I'm going to go to UNC Charlotte I had a bunch of friends who were going to school there and that's where I wanted to go and um I wanted to go there. I was going to study accounting. I was going to be an accounting major. and Then I was going to work for one of the big eight firms at the time and make a bunch of money and live in North Carolina and everything was going to be happy and things would going to be perfect, right? Um, well, I, I, my, my parents and I, we didn't see eye to eye on college, uh, my, my, um, coming out of high school, and uh, a lot of tension that uh, senior year in, in my house. Thankfully, my parents finally relented to my wishes, and I won, okay, being Mr. Independent Firstborn. This was great. But uh, they're like, hey, we'll let you go to school there, but you actually can't get in because it's past the time to put in your application, so you're going to have to wait a year before you can go there. I was like, I- I'm not going to wait a year. So I-, I decided to go to my safety school, Wake Forest University, because Wake Forest is everybody's safety school, right? And, um, and I ended up going to school at-, at Wake Forest. Well, when I went there, I was like, all right, well, I, I can still do the accounting thing. So sophomore year, taking accounting, first semester, yeah, not real good. Second semester, yeah, not really good at all. So about halfway through the semester, I'm like, "Ah, I'm not going to be an accountant. Let's just be honest. And uh, and because of my grades, I couldn't get into business school because I was thinking about that. I'm like, what's an easy major to get into? Political science. And so I said, I'll be a political science major. And so I decided that I was going to spend my time at Wake studying political science. As you can tell, my life plan was coming to working like it's supposed to work, Right. Everything's just falling into place. Everything I dreamed about is happening. Spent the next three years in the uh, insurance industry. Thought I was going to make big bucks, and big bucks weren't coming. And uh, I finally listened to God and went back to school, got my degree in theology, and became a pastor. Again, everything I had planned out in my life was was coming up roses. Uh, It was time to find a pastor job, and so I, I finished up school. And I was like, I know where I'm supposed to be. I'm, I'm supposed to be in the South, grew up in North Carolina, I'm supposed to stay in the South or I'm supposed to go out west. I, I just know this is what's going to happen. So I sent resumes out to as many places as I, I could. I think I sent out like 65 resumes, churches in the South, churches in uh, the West that were looking for youth pastors, crickets. One day I get a phone call from this guy. He's like, hey, I want to, I'm a pastor at a church. He's like, I want to invite you to come interview for our youth pastor job here. And I'm like, okay. I was like, where are you located? He's like, New Jersey. I said, I hate New Jersey. (laughs) I had never been to New Jersey before in my entire life. But I just knew I hated it. (laughs) He and I went back and forth a little bit. And finally he was like, look, I'm sending you a plane ticket. I want you to just come visit. If you don't like it and you still hate it, that's great. If, If not, we'll talk get up there, and I'm like, oh, this this is the nice part of New Jersey, right? (laughs) And it was beautiful. So we ended up being there for seven years um, in that uh, role in New Jersey. Well, after those seven years, it was time for us to move on. I took a position as um, starting a campus for a church here in northern Virginia uh, out in Haymarket. This was going to be the third campus for this church, a church that actually was birthed out of this church back in 1992 and uh and so got there and they said hey we want you to do this for about three years and then uh, we're going to send you off to go plant a church I'm like this sounds great i'll get to learn a whole lot and we can go do this we were at that church three and a half years and when three and a half years came up it was like hey we're, we're ready to go plant a church and you know we know exactly where we wanted to plant a church uh my wife's from here in northern virginia uh we love northern virginia i know that sounds weird but we do and um we're like we want to plant a church in alexandria Our heart was set on that. That's where our dreams were. It's what we felt like God was kind of calling us to. One year later, we are 280 miles south of Alexandria, Virginia, down in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where we planted a church there. For about 25 years of my life, I can look at detour after detour after detour after detour. detour. And I had all these great plans and ideas and dreams of what I felt like I was supposed to be doing and where God was leading. But, but when these detours kept hitting, it was kind of like, hey, God, what are you up to? I mean, where are you in this? Why aren't you doing what I want? Why aren't you doing what I planned? But I can look back after all these years, and you know what I can see? I can see God's hand at work. In every single detour and I bet many of you have the exact same story to tell that you've had plans and dreams and ideas and you had it all figured out and that detour hits and you weren't sure what was going on and you weren't sure how you were going to deal with that and you weren't sure where God was in the midst of that well here's what I can tell you just like we find with Joseph God has been with you the whole time. That God hasn't gone anywhere. That God has been working in those detours of life. Just because we can't see God at work doesn't mean that God isn't working in our detours. And sometimes we have to look to our past to be reminded of that. But it's in those detours that God does some amazing Amazing work. We're gonna put some photos up here on the screen. This is a Japanese art form. You may have heard of this before, called kintsukuroi, and it's a means to repair with gold. It's when a ceramic pot or a bowl breaks, you use a gold or silver lacquer to to repair the the broken pieces that are there. And those repairs, as you can see there, makes these these pieces of of pottery look even more beautiful than I I think they were when they were fully together. Um, But it also makes them stronger. Because you can look at that and you can see the imperfections in those pieces of pottery, but you can almost see the resilience in them and how much stronger they are. I kind of think that's what God does and the detours in our life. Because usually when those detours hit us, it, it feels like brokenness in, inside of us. And many times it is brokenness that we, we feel. And when those detours come, we're, we're not quite sure what to do with it or where to go with it. And, and again, they're, they're oftentimes hard to understand our next steps forward. I mean, what do we do when, when cancer is present or infertility or we lose a loved one unexpectedly? Maybe it's a moment of bankruptcy, messed up relationships, shattered marriages, a DUI, that jail time. I mean, this list could go on and on. But could it be like this pottery that God is making us more beautiful? Could it be like this pottery that God is making us more resilient and making us stronger? Because sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to fully grasp and understand what God is doing in those detours that we face in our life. that when we feel like we're at the end of the rope and there's no rope left, this is the moment we jump in and we grab on to the the rope that God has there for us. And and we get to see God and who God really is when these detours hit us. Because those detours... Are going to keep coming in our life over and over and over again and do we understand that God is there to help repair us to strengthen us and to make us even more beautiful as we begin the series today I want you to think through a, a couple of things or a couple of questions to kind of lead into the rest of uh, our weeks as we talk about Joseph Kind of take an inventory of your past and your present. Here's the two questions I feel are important to ask yourself. Where have I seen God working in my detours in the past? So again, take an inventory of your life. Look at your past and everything that's happened. Say, okay, where have I seen God working in those times? Because maybe you didn't, but looking back, you you can like, oh, now I see. Here's the second question answer. What are the detours in my life right now I need to be made aware of? Because I'm sorry, those detours are not going anywhere. They're going to keep coming and coming and coming. And maybe you're experiencing those right now in your life. You know what's best to be aware of that? So that you can prepare for those detours and watch and see God work through them now. Because detours will continue to come. And so over the course of this next week, answer those two questions for yourself. And next week, we're going to continue to talk about what these detours look like in Joseph's life and what they look like in ours. In fact, i want to leave you with a cliffhanger for next week. <laughs> the end of chapter 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. We're going to talk about what happened there next week as we continue our series called Dealing with Detours.